Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together this, this morning to feed us and to nourish us through your word and through your spirit and through the sacrament. We pray now that your word would not return void, that it would accomplish all that you've set out for it to accomplish. We pray that we'd be moldable and malleable in your hands. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and eyes to see and hands and feet that are eager and willing to do your word as you sanctify us through your word and conform us more and more to our beautiful and glorified and risen Savior, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated and turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at a familiar miracle, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. This is actually one of only two miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. All four Gospels record many miracles, but this miracle and the resurrection are the, are the only two that are recorded in all four of them. They're, it's obviously a very familiar story, whether you've heard it four weeks ago or four years ago. Uh, hopefully there's something that we can learn from, uh, from this message and from what the Lord has to teach us today. Now I'd like to read the, the context of the parable as well. So let's start at Luke 9, starting in verse 1. And if you notice that one of the burdens of Luke is he wants to tell us who Jesus is. Luke starts off his gospel by writing to Theophilus, which means friend of God. And he said he's writing that you may have certainty regarding the things that have been taught. And everything that follows is so that we would have certainty regarding the things that are taught. And Luke is writing to tell us who is Jesus. Don't miss it. Don't miss him. Life and death hang in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. There's no more important question to answer and to get right in terms of who is Jesus. And it's interesting that the context for the parable that we have in Luke is really framed by two questions. Herod hears about Jesus and says, who is this? And then we have the parable. And then after it is when Peter first confesses, after Christ asks him, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ. And this parable is sandwiched in between those two, highlighting for us who Jesus is through what he does and through what he says. But let's hear the word of God, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those 
who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, I titled this sermon, Dinner Impossible. It's actually taken from Phil Riken's commentary on uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. And I thought it was uh, an interesting title. I'm one of those guys who actually likes the Food Network and cooking shows and all those things. And I'm married to someone who's going to culinary school. And it's uh, just a very interesting situation to have 5,000 people are hungry and ready to eat and you don't have the provisions. If I invited you all back to my house today and didn't tell Michelle, we just came and I knocked on the door and I said, guess who's coming to dinner? She would, of course, put on a smile and we try to do everything we can to accommodate you, but we don't have enough uh, in our pantry or our refrigerator to accommodate all of you. She would have a conversation with me after you all left saying, hey, a heads up would be kind of nice, right? We all can kind of get this situation. This story is very captivating and interesting to us. Imagine 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus their wives, plus their children, all hungry. They've been in a desolate place. They've heard the Lord preaching. They've seen him heal people, and the day is wearing away, and now they're hungry. What is going to happen? How is this situation going to unfold? And of course, it tells us something about Jesus, and it also tells us something about ourselves. I'd like to look at this in terms of three points this morning. First, no reservations. Second, many reservations. And third, abundant provisions. No reservations, many reservations, and abundant provisions. And by no reservations, I mean that in the sense of, like, if we went to a restaurant and we had 5,000 people, and we didn't call ahead, and we have no reservations, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. The second one, in terms of many reservations, is using reservations in a different sense. There are many concerns that the disciples have. So no reservations, many reservations, and abundant provisions. But first, no reservations. Right? This is setting up the problem. Every great story has a problem that needs to be solved, and here is the problem. The day is beginning to wear away, Jesus had preached about the kingdom, he had healed, and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. And Jesus gives them an odd command. 
he says, you give them something to eat. And the you here if, uh, is plural. If Jesus were from Texas, he would have said to the disciples, all y'all. Right? All y'all give them something to eat. Can you imagine? It's somewhat comical. It's meant to invite us in. We don't know exactly what the disciples were thinking, but you can be thinking, like, is he serious? What does he expect us to do? How are we going to do this? If you remember the story in the context, he told them to take no money and take no bread. They didn't have anything with them. How are they going to do this? What is he asking of them? What's going on in this situation? It's pregnant. It's a pregnant moment. It's uncomfortable. There's a pause there. It's actually inviting us into this story too. Like all of Christ's followers, they say, as you wish, Lord, we're going to do that, right? No. The disciples say, let's tell Jesus the problem. We don't think he understands what's actually going on here. So let's inform Jesus about the situation. They say, we have more than five, we have more than 5,000 people and we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. They want to educate Jesus about the situation. He doesn't seem to understand. 5,000 men plus women and plus children. One theologian said they're kind of acting like functional atheists. They're living in some sense like God doesn't really exist. That theologian said they considered what they had and not who Jesus was. They considered what they had, not who Jesus was. Remember what they had all just seen. They had all just seen him heal people of many diseases. Remember what they had all just done. They had all been out, and they had cast out demons, and they had healed all manner of diseases. And now they're wondering, oh, man, these people are hungry. I wish someone was here who could do something about it. We're a lot like the disciples, aren't we? The second thing we want to consider is many reservations. The first is no reservations, right? Just setting up the story for us. 5,000 plus hungry people, just a couple loaves of bread, just a couple fish. And so there are many reservations, many concerns that the disciples had. Phil Riken talked about this in his commentary that we all have spiritual amnesia. I think that's a really great phrase. Dr. Riken asks, what are some of the things that we forget to remember? <laughs> Here the disciples are standing in the presence of Jesus he just healed, they had just healed, they had just cast out demons, and they're wondering, boy, I wish someone was around who could do something about this, right? Spiritual amnesia. What are some of the things that we forget to remember? And Dr. Riken says, we forget to study the Bible, not remembering that the word gives life, don't we? We forget the power of prayer, not remembering that God's blessing is ours for the asking, it's striking in Scripture that sometimes God presents himself as handing all these things he wants to give us. And he says, you have not because you ask not. He's ready to give them. He's just called us and invited us to come and ask of him, and he will give us. But sometimes we forget. We have spiritual amnesia. Sometimes we forget that we cannot make it on our own, recognizing that we are utterly dependent upon the Lord. Mike Horton one time said that Prayer is a declaration of dependency. I think that's a great phrase. We're dependent upon the Lord for everything. 
Everything we have physically, everything we have spiritually, everything we have materially comes from the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. I submit to you, you couldn't name me one blessing that didn't come to you that way. We also forget that we do not have to work our way up to heaven, not remembering that God has already accepted us in Christ. This is a tough one, isn't it? We're so wired for law. We're so wired to try to earn or prove our status. It's hard for us to believe that the starting point of the Christian life is you are forgiven. You are adopted. You are loved beyond your wildest imagination. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are declared righteous. You are destined for glory. Those aren't the things that happen along the way. If you do this, you'll get these things. Or if you do them well enough, you'll get some of them or most of them. It's the starting point. These are yours. You are made new. You are regenerate. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are declared righteous. But we forget that. It's hard. One of the reasons why we come every week to receive and to hear is to be reminded of that because we have spiritual amnesia. Faith comes by what, beloved? Hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. He doesn't just shame us and say, I told you this once. He invites us back in. Let me remind you again of my love. Let me remind you of my mercy, of my forgiveness, of my presence, of my care for you. There are many things that we forget to remember. They had just spent time given power and authority from God to go and do amazing things, casting out demons and heal all kinds of diseases. And they had just reported those results to Jesus. And now they're not quite ready to realize that there is someone here who can do something about this situation and feed these people. And beloved, Jesus doesn't shame them. He doesn't correct them. Jesus is going to strengthen their faith. He doesn't break bruised reeds. He doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. What he's going to do is going to strengthen their faith. It's going to draw them in to understand him more, to love him more, to strengthen their faith like he does for us, like we do every week when we're gathered together, that we are strengthened and nourished by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The gospel, beloved, is the power of God unto salvation, not just conversion. It's what we need for our entire life, not just at the beginning, but throughout, to be reminded that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to the word of God alone. And we find that Jesus is always ready and eager and able to help his people, and he's always faithful. Which leads us to our final point, the abundant provisions. Jesus says to have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and set it before the crowd. Can you imagine the reaction as they just started to feed? <laughs> Again, it's not recorded for us. Scripture is silent about so many questions that we may have. Michelle and I often play a game and asking, like, if we could go and visit any one day of Scripture, like, which day would we want to see? And almost 
whatever text we're reading, oh, I want to see that one. I want to read that one. I want to see, I see that one. This would be a great day to be at. Incredible. Can you imagine? It doesn't say much. It just says a simple phrase, and they all ate and were satisfied. We know the outcome. Sometimes we don't know the mechanics. Well, how? How does that happen? The text isn't answering us the how question for it. It's answering the who question for us. Who's doing this is more important than how he did it. If you get the who, you're not so much worried about the how. It's God doing it. It's the Son of God doing it. It's the second person of the uh, Holy Trinity doing it. It's God in flesh here doing it. Of course he can do that. He created the universe. What, What can he do? Nothing's impossible. Nothing's too hard for him. He's already shown them all these different things that he can do. But the text simply says, and they all ate and were satisfied. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, when he had given the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. And here's a living enactment of that. He's feeding them. Like Reverend Godfrey said in his sermon on Mark, like the good shepherd, like Psalm 23. They're in a desolate place. He's taken them and he's feeding them and he's nourishing them and he's providing for them everything that they need and there are abundant provisions. They're going to physically hunger again. It's like when we eat our Thanksgiving meal, we still eat on Friday, right? This meal didn't satisfy them physically forever, but it's pointing to the one who does satisfy them eternally, spiritually, forever. And does also provide for all of their temporary needs along the way as well. And like any great meal, there's leftovers. (laughs) There's a doggy bag. Twelve of them. Is this to help with their spiritual amnesia? What was left over? Twelve baskets full. There wasn't that awkward setting of who's going to eat the last piece, right? Of fish. Everybody was satisfied. And there were 12 baskets of food left over. Why 12? Well, presumably one for each of the disciples. But it's also representing the nation of Israel, the people of God, the fullness. God's blessings are for all of his people. And it's not just stingy, it's leftovers. It's abundance. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give you all things? That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of Jesus he is. That's the kind of Savior he is. Imagine them lugging this thing home. (laughs) Just a couple, however long it was, an hour or two earlier, they had thought, what are we going to do? And now all of them ate and were satisfied and they're taking a basket home of leftovers. What a beautiful story. What a great memory for them to remind themselves, ah, this Jesus is able, this Jesus is willing, this Jesus is beyond my wildest imaginations about what he can do. What is the point of the miracle? Why is this in here? Well, on a very basic level, simple and obviously, it's to show that God will provide. And that God will provide in abundance. 
We are prone to forget. We are prone to doubt. We are prone to spiritual amnesia. God has provided for you in the past. And sometimes we doubt then, is he going to be able to provide for me today or is he going to be able to provide for me in the future? And it's a great enactment for us to remember, yes, the one who's been faithful yesterday will be faithful today and he will be faithful tomorrow. Last week we prayed together the Lord's Prayer. said, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us didn't have enough for the week. Most of us don't have enough for two or five years from now. But the Lord provided this week. He will provide next week. He will provide until he comes or until he takes you home. He will be with you. And not just in those things, but in all things, the little things and the big things. He will provide now and forever. He is worthy of trust. Another thing we learn is that we learn about the power and necessity of prayer. It's stunning to think that Jesus prayed. He's the Son of God. He is God. And he prayed. Perhaps we should too, right? Sometimes people wonder why I pray. Jesus prayed. God uses means. God uses the means of our prayers to bring about the purposes for his world, for the church, for you, for me. You are an answer to somebody's prayer. You're an answer to many people's prayer. You're an answer to Jesus' prayer. God uses means. And it is an interesting thing that Jesus and the disciples were in the exact same situation. Jesus didn't have, you know, an extra 50,000 fish, you know, in, a, in his back somewhere. They all had the same number of fish. They all had the same number of loaves. And Jesus and the disciples were in the same situation. And the disciples' reaction was to be anxious. Jesus' reaction was to pray. That's a good lesson for us. God doesn't come and shame us for our anxiety. He actually tells us in 1 Peter, cast your cares and anxieties on me because I care for you, because I love you. Bring them to me. Bring them to me, he says. He will not always take us out of a situation, beloved, but he will always see us through, even if the through means to take us home to glory. He is with us now. He is with us always. He will never leave us as orphans. He will never forsake us. But the deeper meaning and the deepest meaning, perhaps, of this is to reveal the person and work of Jesus. This has been Luke's burden. Who is this Jesus? He's showing him to be God. The Exodus motif should be sending off bells in people's heads. Where was another desolate place where people didn't have anything and God provided for them? For 40 years, manna from heaven. And God provided for them daily. And they had leftovers. And here it is now. Here's the answer to Herod's question. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the great provider. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the one who cares for his people. He's the one who has power and authority over creation. He's the one with compassion and love that will provide for them and feed them and satisfy them. He is 
the I am. It's this story or this context in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when he says, I am, he's saying, I am Yahweh. He's hearkening back to the one who fed you in Israel is now the one standing here in the flesh feeding you today. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be Yahweh. And people who heard him preach understood that because they sought to kill him for that. They're saying, you're committing blasphemy. They understood what he was saying. Jesus is claiming to be God. I am the bread of life. I am the one who has come down from heaven. I am the one. I am the eternal. I am the existing, all-existing one, or ever-existing one. I am the great provider. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who fed you there. I'm the one who feeds you here. I'm the one who will be with you forever. So the story is not so much answering how these things happened, but who made it happen. We have millions of questions, right? But we are being pointed to the Savior. We are being pointed to Christ. We are being pointed to Jesus to recognize him. John makes specific what Luke implies. Philip Ryken wrote, In the Gospel of John, Jesus later accuses the crowd of only coming to him for physical food. He said, You are seeking me, he said, because you ate your fill of the loaves. But if that is all that people wanted, they are missing the point. Do not labor for food that perishes. Jesus went on to say, but for the food that endures to eternal life. In other words, the meaning of the miracle is spiritual and eternal, not merely temporal and physical. I am the bread of life. Our call to worship, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Bread alone doesn't satisfy, but the one who gives us bread satisfies. Interestingly, the miracle also reminds us of our opportunities, our privilege, and our obligations, and our purposes in loving and serving others as well. Jesus could have just had the people sit in you know, groups of 50 or 100 and had bread drop down from heaven. But he commissioned the disciples to go and feed them. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it funny that at the beginning he said, all y'all give them something to eat. I'm like, we can't do that. But you know what? They did. They did give them something to eat. They're the ones who are the waiters of the table. They're the ones who got to share the goodness and the bounty of what the Lord had to say. They had done it through their words, and now they're doing it through the blessings as well. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't do it in their own power or in their own authority. But as God gifted them, as God gave them ability, as God gave them calling Everything is from the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. When we read the gospel in Ephesians, it said we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do them. And here, we do things, not for our salvation, but from our salvation. Not apart from God, but through the abiding presence of the eternal and Holy Spirit who makes us more and more like Jesus. They did give him something to eat. And he calls us. Do we see the hungry? Do we see the needy? 
Do we see those who are lonely and hurt and afraid? How can we minister? How can we care? How can we use our gifts, our abilities, our opportunities as well to show the love of Christ? You know, interestingly, the verbs that are used here when Jesus prays and when he breaks the bread and when he gives it, these verbs that are used are used only three times in Luke in the same order, in the same way. And if you heard the Gospel of Luke read all in one setting, which is how it was really meant to be, then these things would send off bells in your head as well. It's here in the feeding of the 5,000 at the institution of the Lord's Supper and then on the road to Emmaus when the disciples didn't recognize the Lord until the breaking of the bread. And here it is, Jesus is saying he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it. And what's going to happen in just a few moments is that we're going to partake of that. He's saying to you today, he's speaking to you today through his word. He's inviting you today to feed. He's inviting you to come, to taste, see, remember, and believe. Let me help your spiritual amnesia. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This body is broken for you. This blood is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's meant to nourish us, something we can taste and feel and smell. In addition to the audible sound that he gives us in his word, he comforts us, he invites us. This is for us, this is to comfort you. A pilgrim's meal as we go along our way to remind us that our sins are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are heirs. This body broken, this blood shed. There's nothing that we can add to it or take away from it. We just celebrate it and receive it. And Luke is trying to highlight for us who this Jesus is because it's in him that we have life. Beloved, if you have confessed your sins and you are resting and trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then be comforted that your sins are forgiven and that you are his now and always. And if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, then don't let the day pass. Today is the day of salvation. He's saying, come, repent and believe. And everyone who trusts in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the embarrassment of riches that you give us in Christ. We thank you that you have provided everything that we need for faith and for life in and through him. We thank you for your abundant provisions, both physically and spiritually. We thank you for how we see enacted here Jesus' love and his compassion and his ability and his faithfulness and his identity. And Father, we pray that you would help us with our spiritual amnesia. We pray that you would sanctify us through your word. We pray that you would help us to remember more and more who you are for us, who you are in us, who you are with us. I pray that we wouldn't feel like we have to come and do all these things to be accepted by you, but to hear and believe that you have accepted us in Christ. And that in that freedom, in that love, and in that mercy that we would go and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.